you got your Bibles, we are in our study, the book of Hebrews. We are in Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to read that text this morning uh, as we get started. I read out, so I've had a number of people ask him, we've got new people come in. I read out of the New American Standard. Uh, so if you've got like a Bible app, you can usually find it there. And if not, that's maybe why it's a little different uh, from what you're reading, but that's okay. It's just mine's better. Um, <laughs> so let me read it out loud. Here we go. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, and one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, we who have believed, enter that rest, just as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world." For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day, today saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear my, his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Now, it makes all perfect sense, right? We can just kind of close up and go home, huh? So here's the thing. When we started the book of Hebrews, one of the things I mentioned, it's a difficult book. And part of the difficulty are these five warning passages that we have. Uh, we dealt with the, the second one last week. This is really, in chapter 3, this is really a continuation of that warning, the two ifs, right? That... Uh, that we are a part if, if we continue, if we hold fast, and, and what he meant by that. And now he puts it in the context of this word rest. And the big question that has been debated for years and years and centuries is, what does he mean by rest? Because it's a picture that we really don't see in a lot of other places in Scripture. And as I've mentioned, and I, I, you know, typically when we get into these and there are differences of opinions that are pretty strong, pretty well known, I'll, I try to mention them to you. And then, of course, you know, probably lean into the one that, that I hold to. But it really kind of begs a question. And I wanted to talk about that for a moment this morning. When you come to study scripture, we've often heard, well, that's your interpretation. Right? Have you ever heard somebody say, well, that's your interpretation? So let me ask you a question. How many correct interpretations of a passage are there? 
one. There is one thing that the author had in mind when he was writing to the people that he was writing to, right? In their context and in his mind, there was one thing that he was seeking to communicate, right? Now, how many applications of that are there? A zillion, right? Depending on when you live and how and the context and all of that, you, we can apply Scripture in many places, but there is one correct interpretation. And so what we try to do is get to that. Now, to be honest with you, it raises a question that you probably got to struggle with, and that is, is Steve always right? And I would like to be humble, um, but my answer to that might even differ from my wife's, as Steve always right. And I say that to say two things. No, number one, uh, you know, I try really, really hard to, to look at the context of Scripture so that what we share here is what that author was, was trying to communicate. Uh, and, and because of that, and for some of you, you may not get this, but for others of you, but it's, it's something that I've seen in my own life. Uh, when you go to Bible college and Bible school and seminary, you learn all these systems of theology, right, that, you know, put nice little bows on everything. And one of the things that I have actually found in my own life, that the, the more I study Scripture, the longer I'm in the pastorate, the more of a biblical theologist I become, as opposed to a systematic theologist, because sometimes our systems, I think, get in the way. Now, I believe that it all fits, uh, but we've got to let Scripture speak for Scripture. The second thing I would say is this. That's why you have the responsibility as a believer priest. Remember, we talked about that last week. You are a royal priesthood. That you have the responsibility for everything you hear, whether it's from me or your favorite preacher on the internet and YouTube, to lay it down next to Scripture and go, is that what this is saying? Is that what's accurate? We all have the ability to be able to do this. So let's lean into this question of rest. And one thing that actually makes it even a little more confusing is he's talking about rest. There's actually one word he uses almost every time, but when you get down to Verse 9, he even uses a different Greek word for rest. It says, so there remains a Sabbath rest. And so now the question is, are there two rests that he's talking about? Or is the Sabbath rest just describing what this rest is? So let's, again, let's dive in. The first view is this, that when he talks about rest, what he's talking about is heaven, right? We get to heaven. Ah, rest, right? Eternal life. So the, the point and the perspective is, is that when he speaks about rest, he's really talking about salvation. And if you remember, we've, we've said that a couple of the ways that people interpret the scripture is that, first of all, he's talking to people that aren't really believers, right? They haven't really believed the truth, right? They've gone to church, so they're there, but they haven't really come to that point of believing and so, therefore, this is a challenge to them that that's what they need to do. Or, yes, they have believed, but they can lose that, 
right? So uh, you, you look at verse 1, therefore let us fear. If while a promise remains, it's in the future, right? So something that's still out there. Any one of you may seem to come short. You really haven't believed, or maybe you have believed, and now you're going to lose it. For indeed, we have heard the good news. What's the good news? The gospel, right? That's what it means. We've had the good news preached to us just like them. So this is talking about the idea that rest equals eternal life, heaven. But I don't believe the context allows for that. Let me give you a couple reasons why. Number one, if you've been with us, uh, we've been very emphatic that He's talking to believers. That's what most of the New Testament is written to believers. You go back to chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. These are believers. Verse 12, take care, brethren. Even here in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear. He, he's, he's, he is making himself a part of this, right? And so there's that. Um, also, th this whole thing here is, he talks about good news, right? And when you and I hear the phrase, the gospel, in fact, if you got the King James Version, it actually translates that, those two words as gospel here. Those who had the gospel preached to them just like us. So when you and I think gospel, we're thinking 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be saved. That is the gospel. That is the good news. But the whole context that he's been talking about here, going, he's quoted it in chapter 3, he's quoting it again now here about entering into rest, is from actually Psalm 95, which tells the story of Israel when they came out of Egypt going into the promised land. Let me ask you, did Israel know anything about Jesus? No. Did they know anything about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? The answer is no. That's not the good news that he's talking about. What good news did they have? Well, God is going to deliver them out of Egypt to take them into the promised land. The whole context, we looked at it last week, is in the book of Numbers. They went to Mount Sinai. They got the law. They built the tabernacle. Then God took them to a place called Kadesh Barnea. They sent 12 spies into the land. Ten came back and said, man, it's a great land. But the people are too mighty. The cities are too big. We can't do it. Caleb and Joshua said, man, God will give it to us. That's the good news that was preached to them. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it. For we will surely overcome it. In Numbers chapter 14, Caleb says, if the Lord is pleased with us, then we will bring it, us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, for the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. That's the good news they heard. So I don't believe he's talking to those who either aren't Christians or, or maybe have lost it here. Heaven or rest doesn't equal heaven or salvation. Another view is that rest is a present experience, 
right? So it's not something in the future, but it's something that you and I can experience today. It's the peace, the power of God. In a way, probably the best way I could express it is it's spiritual maturity, right? When, when you first come to faith in Christ and you begin this journey, right, one of the things that you keep trying or we keep struggling with, and I would even say even further on down the line, right, is that often we try to do things in our own power, right? We're going to try to fix it. We're going to try to fix ourselves. We're going to try to fix everybody in our life. And usually we end up making a mess of it, right? As you grow in maturity, what you begin to realize is God the Holy Spirit lives in me. And so now I'm going to rest in his power. And I'm asking him to do this. And that's that sense. And where they would look is here at verse, uh, in verse 3, for we who have believed, right? Past tense, we have believed, enter that rest. That's Presence. So this is that whole idea. They look ahead at this, this picture. Verse 9, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, right? And again, this is for the people of God. This is something that we can experience in, in our life, how like, you know, God experienced it you know, after creation. And you've, you've heard the expression, let go and let God, right? Which I'm not going to talk about the theology behind that one. But anyway... But the idea is, is that the rest equals when we get mature to the point where we no longer are trusting in ourselves, but we're trusting in the power of God. We're working in the power of His Spirit. And that sounds pretty good. Uh, but there's a couple of issues with that. Um, the issues is, is number one, it does not work with the story that he gives, the example he gives of God in creation. Because the whole idea is when we're young, when we're carnal, when we're still in and of ourselves, we do our works and we fail. And now as we mature, we, we, we trust God to work through us. Well, here's the picture. The picture is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. So was that done by God in his own fleshly power and carnality? No. Was it done somehow in, in, in a way that, that was dishonoring? No. The picture is God spoke it all into being for six days, and when his work was done, he rested. He rested. Secondly, you have the prescription problem, right? So like in the first one, that, that, that rest equals eternal life. Well, what's the prescription? The prescription is found in verse 11. Therefore, be diligent, right? So if, if rest equals eternal life, does that mean that you have to work to get into heaven? Does that make sense? Is that consistent? And the answer is no. Well, the same thing here. The prescription would be what you need to do is work really hard to not work hard and to trust in God's power. That's almost a little oxymoronic, isn't it? It just doesn't work. Let me suggest what I think and I believe that the whole context would point us towards is this. Rest looks ahead, right? There remains it's still to come. It looks ahead to our future reward in the kingdom and the eternal state. 
Rest then equals inheritance. It's, it's the blessing of God that comes for a life well lived. Now let me real quickly, I mentioned kingdom and eternal state because sometimes that gets a little confused and I want to be real clear. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of God that is going to come at the end of the tribulation when Jesus returns and he sets up his kingdom. For a thousand years, Revelation chapter 19, Revelation chapter 20, Satan is put into the bottomless pit. And Jesus is going to literally rule and reign here on the earth. We have the promise that we will rule and reign with him to his disciples. that you will sit on 12 thrones. You will judge the, tri- the tribes of Israel, right? It is a thousand years in which Jesus will literally fulfill the promises of Abraham and to David here on this earth. Then you get to the last part of Revelation chapter 20. Satan's let loose for a season. Finally, it ends up in the great white throne judgment, right? And then we have a new creation. He starts Revelation 21 and 22 with saying, I saw a new heaven or new earth for the former ones were passed away. This is what we often think of when we think of heaven. But it really is the eternal state. Like the streets of gold, the eternal state. The new Jerusalem coming down. Where there's no temple for God will be the temple. There's no sun for God will be its light. That's the eternal state. And, And when we look at what scripture tells us about reward, it's that for those who faithfully follow Jesus in the future, in his kingdom and the eternal state, there will be great word. It's not the fact that you're going to be there. You're going to be there. But God has promised extra blessing, extra reward to those who have been faithful. Let me real quickly, if I can. Yeah, really quickly. Clock is moving on me. Let me give you six reasons why, if I can. Again, is it just what Steve says? Let's look at the context, right? So the first thing is this. The context of Hebrews, let alone the the immediate context, is all about what is to come. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, this... We talked about it when we were there, but this really struck out to me. Remember in verse 2, he says, chapter 1, verse 2, In these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. What's that looking towards? That's looking towards a day down the line, right, when all things are subject to him. In fact, he tells us in chapter 2, they're not subject yet, but they're going to be. And it just is like that light bulb moment this week. Think of everything he's going to tell us about his son. That his son is the radiance of his glory. He's the exact representation of his nature. He's the one who made all things. He's the one who upholds all things, right? All of those things are right there. What's the first thing he mentions? That he is the heir of all things. It's a theme of the book of Hebrews to look ahead. You look down at verse 14. He talks about angels and what do they do? They're ministering servants for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. And we told you then, salvation can look back to justification. It can look right now at sanctification. It can look ahead at glorification. In this context, it's looking ahead of those who will inherit it's still to come salvation. We then looked at that first warning passage. In verse 3, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And we again ask the question, is that justification? Is that sanctification or is it glorification? And we said it's glorification. You say, well, where do you get that? Verse 5 makes it really clear. For he did not subject to angels 
the world to come. And then he even says, concerning which we are speaking. All of this is pointing ahead. It's pointing to a day when you and I will be able to, to not only be with Jesus in heaven, but there will be reward for faithful service. The second piece of the context is he's been talking about the children of Israel. And the picture of the children of Israel going into the promised land was never about salvation. I mentioned this last week. Salvation for the children of Israel, as is portrayed in the New Testament looking back, is they were saved out of Egypt. It was the Passover. It was the death angel's going to come. The, 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 the firstborn's male and every house is going to die. Salvation comes. You take a lamb. You let it live with you. Then you kill it. You take its blood. You apply it to the door. The death angel comes. He passes over. And oh, by the way, that is what brought them out of the place of bondage. And then through the Red Sea into a new life. And then he took them from there to the place, the land of promise, inheritance. That's where they disobeyed. That's where they turned back. That's the picture. Number three, you look at here in chapter four, verse three. For we who have believed, right? Past tense. We who have believed, that's us enter that rest. The, the, the present tense in the Greek, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know most of you aren't either. But the sense of that word is that the emphasis isn't so much on the timing as much what happened. The idea is, is that today you and I are entering. You and I today have that process of, of preparing and living in a way that brings that great inheritance Number four, you had the picture then in verse four of God's rest. For he said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from his works. This is the picture. It's taken from Genesis 2.2. Well, God did his work. When his work was done, it is done. Somebody came up and reminded me that, you know, even in our courtroom today, when, when a lawyer is done presenting, I rest my case. It's done. The work is over. So for God, his work was done. Now he is going to enjoy the benefit of all he made. He's going to walk with man in the cool of the evening. He, all of creation is going to sing his glory. The work is done. That's the picture. Number, well, I don't know where we are here. Number five. You go back to and he comes back here in verse 7 to the Psalm 95. Today, if you harden my heart, or today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as it's been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day. So, all right. His point is this. They turned away from what would be, have been their rest, their inheritance. And you remember God said there at Kadesh Barnea, the great provocation, all right? Every one of you, 20 years of age, because of your disobedience now, you're never going to go in the land. We're going to wander around out here for another 38 years, total of 40. Every one of you is going to die. Your children are going to be the ones that go in. 
And so they go in, right? And you think, all right, now they got their inheritance. 400 years down the line, David comes back. And he comes back to this thing. And David says in his day, 400 years later, to his people today. Today, if you don't harden your hearts, you can enter God's rest. What David was telling them is there is great value in following the Lord, not hardening your heart, walking after his ways. It brings the promise of inheritance. Now you fast forward another 3,000 or at least, what, 1,100 years, 1,200 years to when Hebrews is written. And now the author of Hebrews brings that up again. And his point is that ultimately it didn't end up being the inheritance. It was their inheritance. Our inheritance is still to come. It's still pointing to the future. It's still pointing to the future. And lastly, and I love here verse 9 and 10. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. There's a future rest that is coming. It point, there remains. And, and folk, this is, I, I know this has all been technical, but thank you for hanging with me. It gets us to this point. There's hope. There's hope for every one of us. Again, he's not talking about heaven. This isn't about whether you get in heaven or not. That is based on whether you've put your faith in Jesus, if you have been saved by grace. But for every child of God, you and I today are like the children of Israel heading into there at Kadesh Barnea. There's a promise. There's a promise of inheritance. Are we going to walk in obedience? Are we going to walk in faith? Are we going to follow the Lord with our whole heart? Are, are we going to follow after the Lord? If we do, there is the promise of great reward. This is our day, our day of work. This is our moment in time. This is his whole point. I would even argue this is really the whole point of the book of Hebrews. This is our day. Don't shrink back. Don't let go of your confidence. Live for that day with all the things that are going on in this world that want to pull our eyes off of Jesus. No, today is the day. And there's a future that's coming. And sadly, we don't talk about this much in the church of Jesus here in America, and I'm not exactly sure why. But I just let my mind go, and I was amazed as I was thinking of some different scripture. In fact, I want, I want to put a number of them up here. I'm going to read through them quick. You might want to just make a note, go back and look at them. But how many times as believers we are reminded that there's a day of reward coming? There's a day when what we do here is going to be judged, and, and it can bring great reward. So let me start in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to Christians. In fact, this just follows that beautiful, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He's talking to believers. For we must all, that means you and me, 
appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. In fact, the verse just before this, Paul says, so we, we, we strive that whether we're at home with the Lord or we're still here, that our lives are pleasing. Why? For we must all appear. There's, there's a sense of reward that is coming. In Revelation chapter 22, I mean, the last words Jesus said to us, behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me. He's talking to you and me. And I will render to every man according to what he's done. There is a future opportunity of great inheritance. It's not whether we get into heaven or not. That's settled. But in heaven, there is the promise of great reward, of even greater inheritance than that, if we walk faithfully before him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul's talking about this. This judgment on that day, he says, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. Colossians 3. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than men. Why? Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. When you and I live this life to be pleasing to the Lord, when we walk in faith, when we walk in obedience instead of disobedience, there's great reward. Second John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says, Watch yourselves that you do not lose what you have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. John even suggests that we can lose reward here. By the way, I would argue that's what Hebrews is talking about. The, re- the inheritance that God had prepared for the children of Israel, they lost because of disobedience. Hebrews 10 He's coming back to it. We're going to hit this a lot in this book because it's everywhere. Hebrews 10.35, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has great reward. For you need of you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Folks, this is the point, and I love the fact that he goes to, to Psalm 95. Today is the day. Follow Jesus today. Because I run into Christians all the time and all of a sudden these light bulb goes on and they go, oh man, but it's too late for me because of yesterday. It's not yesterday is the day. It's today is the day. Our God is a God of new beginnings. Our God is a God who understands our heart. In fact, we're going to, you know, you might say, well, what's he looking for? That's a great question. Come back next week. That's what we're going to talk about. Because that's where he's going. And he ends with how merciful our God is. But the whole point is today is the day. And when you and I walk with Jesus, when we follow him in obedience, when we walk in faith and we don't turn to the left or right, that has great reward. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. It is part of God's rest. Now, I'm supposed to be done, but I can't skip over this. Go back to verse 1. Therefore, let us fear. Let 
let us fear. And now some of you are recoiling in that. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, right? But a power of love, a sound mind. The author of Hebrews says, let us fear. How do you square that? Well, the reality is there is certainly unhealthy fear. But there's good fear too, right? You know, a few years back, I'm going to the doctor. You know, cholesterol's going up. Blood pressure's going up. You need to lose weight. I got to change the way I eat, right? I got to lose some weight. Good fear. You drive around here. You drive defensively. That's a good fear. Because <laughs> you don't know what the other person is thinking. In fact, you don't even know if they are thinking. <laughs> Let us fear. Here's the thing. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord, and I'm talking to myself here. We can still mess this thing up. Isn't that exactly what Paul said to the church at Corinth? I, even the apostle Paul, buffet my body so that when I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. He's not talking about getting into heaven or not. He realizes that there are so many pieces in this world that want to pull our attention away from Christ, from persecution to, to the struggles with all the material things that are out there. And his point is, let us fear. And I, and I think when Paul writes those words, I, at the end of 2 Timothy, right, his last book, I'm ready to be poured out. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, right? The time of my departure is at hand. I don't even think we get the scope of what he says when he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Let us fear because there's a day we're going to stand and we could lose reward. Not losing heaven. We're not losing our, our eternal life. But, but our ability to, to rule and to reign and to know the incredible inheritance that God has given those who walk faithfully before him. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus tells a story of the ruler who went away and gave his servants responsibilities. And he came back to the one who was faithful. He says, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. The kingdom, the eternal state. In fact, earlier he had told a similar story, but it was it was month or two before this, the best we can understand, but he even uses different language that I find fascinating when you think about the kingdom that's coming. He says, well done, good slave, because you've been faithful enough very little, you are in authority over ten cities. Interesting, isn't it? Folk, be diligent. He said, let us fear, and then he comes back in verse 11, you've got to be diligent. You gotta work hard. 
The idea is with, with, with enthusiasm, with, with vigor, with, you know, in this moment, don't put it off. Walk with Jesus. And the best way I can tell you to do that is this. Engage with God today. Learn to spend time with God every day. Connect with others every day. In fact, you remember going back, we looked at it last week to, you know, that warning passage. And what was, his, what was his solution? It's get around and encourage other believers. Let them encourage you. We need to be engaged. We need to be pouring in. We need to be listen, listening to others. Live on mission today. Don't worry about yesterday. Our God is a God of new beginnings. Today is the day. There remains for the people of God a Sabbath rest. Still out in the future. It's that day we go see Jesus. And wouldn't that be cool if that was today? Ah, but to hear from him, well done. To hear from him, you were faithful in a few. Now, part of my rest is that you will be, you will have much more. Mm-hmm.